Here we're going to be kind of in Luke chapter 1, but all over the place. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. I'm going to get there myself. Uh, While we're turning there, I just found out that um, some folks weren't here when we announced um, the total giving for the missionary Christmas. And last I heard, it was somewhere over $6,000. I haven't heard an official landing place. It's pretty amazing, yeah. Um, you know, in 2 in, uh, Corinthians, Paul tells the Corinthian church, God loves a cheerful giver. And so as, as we give as a, a New Testament church or a, a church uh, under the reign of Christ as our head, uh, we're not marked by giving the way that giving used to be you know, where there's like a specific amount. If you read the Old Testament, there was a whole lot of giving. Actually, at times it added almost to 30% of the the harvest of those who were, man, that guy, he's got an engine. Uh, The harvest that they were bringing in, right? And uh, and some of us have earmarked 10% as kind of a a start of giving. Um, But ultimately, we walk in this principle of freedom. And as I was talking with Karen, who was kind of overseeing that, she said my favorite part was how excited and happy people were uh, to participate in this opportunity to support our, our missionary families. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that uh, not only did we give, but we gave with this heart of generosity and love. That's my, one of my favorite parts of this church family is the love and just, generosity that uh, you all show that Jesus has created in our midst. So thank you for being a part of that. Uh, I know James was a little bit... Um, uh, unsure of the details for a night of the nativity, which is next Sunday, and it's kind of an important thing, so I want to take a moment to clarify that uh, just a little bit. This is a brand new thing we're doing, which is probably why. Father, we thank you for the time that we have together as a church family today. Thank you for the blessing of being able to praise you, sing of your, your goodness and your glory. Uh, Father, I love hearing my church family singing, and I love reflections, like I love that song. I love, I love how that song shows Jesus and who he is to me, and so we thank you, God, for our time of worship. Father, as we continue to worship, we want to open our hearts to you, to your word, to your truth. We pray, God, that you would be moving in our midst, and we know that you are. We know that it is your desire to shape us and grow us. And so with the good news of Jesus Christ, with the work that you do in the lives of your people, Uh, be pressed into us, and would we be seeking after you all the more because of what we learned today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we talked about why Joseph. Wait a minute, I don't have an extra slide this time. We talked about why Joseph, and uh, when we talked about why Joseph, we said why Joseph because Joseph was a person who was open to what God was doing and open to God's ways. And we concluded this sermon uh, with just an invitation to all of you who would be open to what God wants to do in your life to just pray that prayer of openness, to make a commitment of openness and to carry that commitment of openness. Uh, We often are people who manage our money and our time and our energies or mismanage them into the things that we want them to be in our lives. And yet we know that we don't accidentally receive the things that the Lord has for us. That, that there's a necessity of humbleness and openness, which Joseph showed us. And today uh, we're going to see why Mary. Now, when I study the Bible, I love finding a couple of different things. Uh, sometimes you find people in the Bible whose lives are a mess, right? They're just messy individuals. And that's very comforting because their problems are always, or at least mostly worse than my problems, and so it feels a little bit better, right? But beyond that, we can sort of do a, a spiritual autopsy on their lives, if you will, and we can figure out what, what went wrong 
Like, why, why did this, why was this a bad nut? Why didn't this go well? And then sometimes we find people in the Bible and they have these extraordinary lives and they have this magnificent impact or fruit in the world. And when I read those, I like to think of this idea, well, what went right? How come their lives had such a great impact? Why, why were they so significant in history? Now, Mary has this fantastic legacy, right? And in fact, some people get confused and they actually like worship Mary. They elevate her beyond that she's somewhere between God and normal human, right? As if she was beyond normally human. But the reality is, is Mary was just like us. She's just, just a girl, you know, just a, a young lady. Uh, now, a lot of us aren't young ladies, but we're humans, right? And, and so Mary just lived an ordinary human life. And so we have a lot that we can learn from her in the way that she lived her life and how her life pattern could benefit us. And so Mary shows us to pursue godliness because it has extreme value in your life. Mary shows us to pursue godliness because it has extreme value in your life. I want you to think for just a minute, what are, what are some of the things that you've pursued in your life? I, I pursued a wife. I got a wife, a good one. I'm thankful for that. What else have you pursued? Children? Yeah, sometimes I'm pursuing them more hotly, right? Yeah, but that's something you're seeking after and you, you want them in your life and you're pursuing good things for those kids. That's good, pursuing children. That's a good pursuit. Other things you've pursued? Career goals. Yeah, career goals. Those are good, right? It's good to have career goals. It's good to have a career that's fruitful, that's impactful, that's using your gifts and talents and abilities. Um, I have pursued having the best fantasy football team in my league. Anybody else? <laughs> Anybody else pursued that before? And it really was a pursuit because when I started playing fantasy football, I hadn't watched an NFL game in over a decade, okay? So I like had to, I was jumping in. I didn't know anything. And I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to win. I don't want to just stink at it, right? And, and, uh, and I did pretty well that year. So it was fun, but I had to pursue that. What else do we pursue? Health. Yeah, we pursue health. It's crazy how much we pursue health. The healthcare industry is like billions of dollars are spent on our healthcare and not just doctors and nurses and hospital visits, but alternative medicine and supplements and creams and ointments and lotions and exercise equipment and uh, opinions and magazines, all sorts. We're really into our health. It's a huge pursuit. Are we going to stay healthy forever though? No, but it's good to have it as long as you can, right? That's good. What else do we pursue? Happiness. Yeah. Did you, did you say fresh air or pressure? Friendship, even better. <laughs> okay, yeah. Happiness and, and friendship, for sure. Yeah, we pursue things that we think are going to bring us happiness. We pursue relationships that are going to be a blessing. There's a lot of things that we can pursue in life. And yet, biblically, there's this great call to this concept that is called godliness. And, and it has value in our lives. And not just a little bit of value, but extreme value. See, some things we pursue in our lives just a little bit. But there's a lot of things that we pursue in our lives a lot, like happiness or friendship or comfort or power. But God says, I want you to pursue godliness. Now, godliness, if you're not a church person, this feels like a stuffy word. Can I get an amen from the church? Yeah, it just sounds a little bit weird. Godliness sounds like something that nuns have and that you want none of, right? Like that's not, that's not necessarily a thing that, that we're looking for in American society. But, but godliness isn't actually stuffy. And the most godly people on the planet don't come across 
as the most stuffy people you've ever met. They're not spiritual librarians shushing everyone else into humble piety and silence. No, they're some of the most loving, generous, open-hearted, forward people that you've met. In fact, the perfect example of godliness would be Jesus. And Jesus had wild accusations thrown at him, like he was a friend of sinners and drunkards. He was someone that people wanted to hang around with. And if you're a godly person, you should be disliked because you tell people no all the time. It's not the goal of godliness. The goal of godliness isn't no. The goal of godliness is the best yes. See, the heart of godliness is humble submission to God's desires over any other priority or desire. The heart of godliness is humble submission to God's desires over any other priority or desire. Mary Mary has this great quote in the book of Luke, in chapter 1, verse 38. It says, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Wow. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. There's lots of places in the Bible where we see this humble attitude. You remember this uh, prophet named Samuel in the Old Testament and his his mother uh, sent him to the temple in his teenage years to learn to be a priest because she dedicated his life to the Lord and, and, she, was, uh, and she was giving him to Eli to be trained. And so Eli was there and they were both in their sleeping quarters and Samuel heard this voice call out, Samuel, Samuel. And, and Samuel got up and he checked on Eli, right? And Eli's like, I'm not, I'm not calling you, man. I'm trying to sleep. Like, go back to your room. I'm, you're crazy. And, and so Samuel goes back and then he hears the voice again, Samuel, Samuel. So Samuel goes back again and, and Eli is a little more astute this time and he says, oh, I'm not calling you, but the, but the Lord is calling you. And so when the Lord is calling you, do you know what you say? You say, here I am, Lord. It's this quote of availability. It's this statement of, I am your servant, Lord. I am willing to do what you desire me to do. And so the heart of godliness is humble submission to God's desires. Now, humble submission to God's desires really matters because some people have really prideful submission to God's desires, and they sort of become spiritual tanks. And it's God's way or the runover way. And if you're not going to do it God's way, then I'm going to run you over because God's way matters more than you. That feels really holy, doesn't it? But it's a holy mess. It's not very good at all. It's, it's not filled with the love and the gentleness, the submission that comes with wisdom from above that James describes in chapter 3 of James. And so it comes with humble submission to God's will. Not my will be done, but your will be done. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done unto me. Now, I want you to think about this a little bit. Mary is a young lady. And when I say young lady, I mean like 15, 16 years old. They got married early then. A hundred years ago, they got married that early often, right? This is not a new thing in the world. And so Mary was very young. And she was asked a huge thing. What was she asked? You guys know the Christmas story? She was asked to have a baby for God. That's a big deal, right? There's a lot of things that I'm comfortable asking a teenager to do. Hey, do you want to come rake leaves with me at somebody's house? 
Hey, you want to show up to the church and have a pizza party? Hey, will you invite your friends to know about Jesus? Never in my whole life have I looked a 15-year-old girl in the eyes and said, I want you to be pregnant for Jesus. This is a really wild request, right? Like, this is outside of the box of normal requests of God. This is a really big deal. How will a baby change a young lady's life? Drastically. Everything. First-time moms, what did you discover about yourself, you know, when, when you were pregnant for the first time? That was a hard process, wasn't it? That was a whole lot going on. You were tired. You were hungry. You were moody. You were broody. You were happy. And you glistened, right? Like all of these wonderful things all at once. And Mary is saying yes to these things. She's saying yes to a massive imposition in her life. That's a really big deal. It is remarkable that Mary would say, I am the Lord's servant. I am willing to do these things. Now, I'm quite certain it didn't go this way, but sometimes in the back of my mind, I think, how many, how many young ladies did Gabriel have to talk to before one said yes, right? I think Mary was the first. I don't think there were any more, but it's such a big ask that you just kind of have to wonder, how many people are really willing to show this level of godliness in their life, this level of humble submission to God's desires over their own. What did Mary want to do at this point in time in her life? We talked a little bit about this. She wanted to get married. She wanted to get married to Joseph. And this pregnancy would lay her biggest hopes and dreams on the line. Will they happen? I don't know. Now, here's the thing. Often we see these examples and we say, that is so nice for someone like Mary. I'm so glad that some people are willing to be godly like that. But the rest of us, we don't, we don't really have to do that, do we? And we sort of start backing into the spiritual bushes of life, and we're trying to like get away from this calling. But the, the truth is the calling to godliness is a, a calling for everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is training Timothy, a young pastor, right, a young servant of the Lord, and he says, but has have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness, for the training of the body has limited benefit. But godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds the promise for present life and also for the life to come. Do you hear that? Godliness is beneficial in how many ways? Every way, because it has benefit, holds a promise for the present life and also the life to come. And then Paul backs it up with this. This is a trustworthy statement and deserves full acceptance. It's almost one of those things like, Timothy, I want you to go back. I want you to read that again. And I want you to think about it. And I want you to go back and read that again. Because there's going to be a lot of things in life that want to grab your attention and distract you. A lot of myths, a lot of fuzzy ideas about what it means to live life successfully and have a good life here on this earth and have everlasting life. That hasn't changed, has it? There are a lot of myths in our culture about what it takes to be happy. Our money says, who do we trust? God. But what do our bank accounts say? Yeah. Yeah, we trust our paycheck. We, we trust the buying power that we have. We trust the consumer index. We trust the Dow Jones index. We trust the financial advisor. We trust the tank full of gas and the fridge full of food. We trust Amazon. Amazon delivers happiness every day. 
That's why we want Prime, right? We trust the radio and our phones and our iPods. We trust the barista to deliver us a nice frothy cup of happiness and goodness in life or that blended frozen beverage of your choice. We're so dependent on the things of this world for life to feel good. The problem is that, amen, yeah, the the problem is that these things ultimately, they're just a little short-lived happiness. We're we're ultimately, we become really big kids. Have Have you ever played a board game with a little kid? I love playing Candyland with really little kids. It is an emotional roller coaster. They pull that double red square, and you would think it's the moon landing, right? Like, NASA is exploding. We have liftoff. We are moving a double red square, right? And they get most of the way around the board, and then they pull, like, the gumdrop mountain way back at the beginning. And what is it like in that moment? I can't believe it. I was going to win, and now you're going to win, and this is the stupidest game I've ever, ever played. I hate it. Why did you make me play? Sometimes we're not much better than that. We get a raise. Hooray! Life is wonderful and good. Our coffee is made perfectly. It's the best. We get to the checkout aisle at Grocery Outlet, and we didn't spend $134. We saved $74.13. Then we got all sorts of things to convince us that life is just right. But all of these things are just on the surface. They're not real happiness. They're just happy moments. They're not joy and goodness. They're just nice things right now. Godliness calls us deeper than the nice things, right? There's this holiday song, a few of my favorite things. It's from the the musical, The Sound of Music. What's funny is it's not actually a holiday song, is it? It's just a silly song to remind you when you're sad that there's still good stuff out there, but somehow it's become a Christmas song. But as a Christmas song, it's, it's sort of the frosting on the sugar cookie of Christmas songs, isn't it? There's not a whole lot of substance to it. There's just nice stuff. The reality is, is that most of us have a, a higher commitment to nice stuff and moments of enjoyment than we have to developing the depth of godliness in our lives that will lead us to real satisfaction to lasting spiritual goodness, to the powerful force of spiritual authority and God's work and God's fruit in your life this side of heaven. It's important for us to recognize that Christmas isn't just about joy to the world because the Lord has come. Christmas is also about receiving your King and recognizing that He has a place of authority in your life. Now what's amazing is we see in Mary's life that this pursuit of godliness brings surprise and joy. Like I said, godliness doesn't bring sourness and dourness and poutiness to life. Instead, godliness brings beauty and awesomeness and wonder and discovery over and over again as you find your heart enamored with and amazed by your God and Savior. No, godliness isn't boring. It's deep and powerful and good. And we see this in Mary's life. Look at where godliness takes her. Luke 1, 28. And the angel came to Mary and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Wow. 
Wow, can you imagine that? We don't know when the angel appeared to Mary. As a little kid, for some reason, I thought the angel came in the night. I don't know why. Maybe it's because the angel was kind of scary to me, but maybe Mary was gardening. Mary was, maybe, maybe she was on her way back from the market. We don't really know. But Mary has this angelic appearance, and the angelic appearance comes with what? This glad tiding, this goodness. Do you know how God feels about you if you put your faith in Jesus Christ? It says in the Bible, he knows your name. Is it because he put it on the chalkboard in heaven? Are you in trouble with God right now? Is he up there shag- wagging his divine finger at you? I, 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 I told you, I told you not to. Don't make me come down there. Papa said, is that God's heart towards you? No, it says that he loves us with an everlasting love. It says that he declares there's no shame over our lives. Instead, his banner over us is love. It says, enter his courts with boldness and even thanksgiving and praises. God, this is wild to say, God is a fan of yours. When he thinks of you, his thoughts are innumerably good. David writes in Psalm 139, I know your thoughts towards me. And then he talks about how embarrassing they are. It's almost embarrassing to think about how much you love me, God. God dotes on us like a mother, a newborn baby. Have you ever seen a a mom with that baby? Have you asked a first-time mom for her baby? There's a decision-making process there. Are you worthy of my child? I would be without them, and I feel really good with them. They have 10 perfect toes and 10 perfect fingers, and the best side of Uh, The best knows this side of heaven, and if those aren't all attached, when I get this child back, so help me God, we're going to have some words, right? That child is precious and important and valued and loved in a way that that child can't even begin to comprehend or understand or measure. That child has love lavished on them in an incredible amount. What is baby talk all about? Does that even make sense? Like, have you seen someone baby talk about, oochie, goochie, goochie? And what is that baby doing when that's happening? Just, (laughs) this is the heart of God towards you, that, that when you have him draw near to you in your life, there's this overwhelming and pervasive sense of, wow, and this is incredible. And that's what's happening in Mary's life. And it says that actually in Luke 1.29 that she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Now, if you were a Jewish student of the Old Testament, sometimes these greetings came with incredible things. Sometimes you were going to be the one to pronounce judgment or give judgment. This is the way that the Lord encountered Gideon, right? The angel of the Lord shows up and speaks with Gideon, and Gideon's like, hang on a minute, is this even for real? Okay, I'll... You just stay right here. I, I want to bring an offering. I want to see if you're really the angel of the Lord. I want to find out what's going on. He's concerned that he's listening to some sort of a false promise. So she's deeply troubled by this statement. But the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and, and you will name him Jesus, which means my God saves he will be great, and he will be called the Son of most, the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Okay, parents, you have high hopes for your kids, right? But it's like A's in chemistry, a good time on the baseball field, a boyfriend or girlfriend who is loving them and not cheating or using them, right? This child has a huge amount of promise. 
He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Wow. That's, that's really big. That's a huge statement. This is not a normal child. This is a very surprising and exciting thing. Not only this, but she continues to experience amazing things. So, so Mary then says, okay, as, as you will, God, what, whatever your desire is, I'm in for that. And then she goes and she visits her cousin Elizabeth for about three months. And when Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. I want you to remember, Mary is is a young girl. She's like 15. These are big words and huge statements for a 15-year-old girl. What words were spoken over you at 15? These things matter. They help us think and imagine about our future. Some of us had parents who spoke love and goodness and blessing. And they they cast a vision for a future in your life that would be filled with goodness. Sadly, that isn't the case for all of us. Some of us had, had parents who spoke terrible things over us. They cursed us and they condemned us and they announced shame and they, they pointed out flaws and they, they measured us unworthy and, and maybe worthless and they spoke harm. And some of us just have a mixed bag. Sometimes it was good and, and sometimes it was hard. These are powerful things that are being spoken of over Mary. Can you imagine what it would feel like as a young person to have someone speak such amazing things over you? Blessed are you for you have believed the things the Lord has said in your life will come to pass. What an awesome statement to encourage someone of faith with. Do you know how awesome it is that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ? That you're trusting that the things that he promises you will come true? That you're putting your stock in him, not in other things? Do you know what that's going to do in your life? I can only imagine the power of God's work in you as you stay faithful to him and his promises. What an amazing thing to say over a young person or any person. This is surprising. This is joyful. Not only that, but more comes later. Mary has the baby in Bethlehem in really difficult circumstances, unfavorable circumstances. They weren't welcomed by anybody, so they have the baby in an animal storage area, a first century garage. Is there a cave or built out of wood, but it's, it's where the sheep stayed. It's where the cattle were at. And Jesus was laid in a manger. He was the king of the universe, and he was born in lowly estate. That had to have an impact. But suddenly, these people come up, these shepherds. In Luke 2.16, it says this, they hurried off, and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. Okay, so Mary has not experienced goodness in the last little bit. She's been through childbirth, natural childbirth, just to remind everybody. This is first century, right? There were no nurses and attending doctors. It was her and Joe and some lambs. Rough situation. Maybe some help from the town, but they were mostly alone. That's a difficult circumstance. And then these shepherds come in, and what is the story that they tell? We were, we were in the fields. We're just doing our jobs, minding our own business. It's the middle of the night. All of a sudden, this angel shows up, 
and announces that he brings good news of glad tidings because unto us, unto us dirty, stinky shepherds, a child is born, a Savior is born in the city of David, and that we were going to find him in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. This would be the sign for us. And then all of a sudden, the heavens above us were filled with angels, a heavenly host. Legions of angels were there in the sky, and they were singing this beautiful tune that I hope I never forget because I've, I've never heard music like this before. My soul danced, and they said, glory to God in the highest, and peace to his people on earth on whom his favor rests. And when they said that, I realized that the, the favor was on me, and I didn't deserve that favor. And so I'm here to see if it's true. And I just discovered my Savior, Mary. I can't believe what God has done. Thank you for being this way, Mary. Can you imagine that? How much surprise, how much joy this would bring into Mary's life. It says this about Mary as she encountered these things. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. That's a guide to godliness treasuring these things up in her heart and meditating on them. What has the Lord done in your life? Just take a moment and reflect. What has the Lord done in your life? Do you treasure that? Do you meditate on that? In the last few weeks, I said one of the most powerful things that happens in my life is, is when the Lord takes me back to that moment where I put my faith in Him, when He reminds me of His great grace and love towards me. That even though I felt so much shame and fear that his truth came into my life and it, and it made me a new person and it gave me hope and it gave me goodness and it gave me joy, he, he changed me drastically through my faith. And then I think of all these other little moments, moments, moments which are just small but so special to me. I remember being in, in downtown Manzanita, big town Manzanita, Oregon. Have you ever been there before? There's a vacant lot there. It's still vacant to this day. And there were these three kids, and two of these kids were picking on another kid, and this other kid had had enough, and they were about to throw down. And I, I had this thing flash through my head. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers don't just sit by when they see evil happening. They, they stop, and so I, I walked over there, and I said, guys, don't do this. This won't be good for any of you. Yeah, one of you is going to win, and one of you is going to lose, but this is really bad. You're just amped up in the moment. Just walk away. It's not worth what's about to happen. The consequences of this are worse than you can imagine. Don't do this thing. And they stopped. And they walked away. And then God said, you're going to do this more. You're going to work with people who, who want a war. You're going to help them calm down. I said, okay, Lord, whatever you want. Then the Lord led me to work with youth who were judicially challenged. They struggled with the law. They were adjudicated in Oregon, and they, they wanted to war everybody. And God showed me that that's where I was going to go that day. It didn't happen for many years. But it reminds me that God is with me and that God guides me when I trust him, when I listen to his word, when I hold true to his voice. Do you have moments like that in your life? I hope you do. The Old Testament calls these moments Ebenezer's, proof that God is with us. Have you sung that song before? Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by his help I come. That's what it's talking about. 
The Lord has promised me this thing. It's a, it's a standard out there and I'm going to raise that up and I'm going to come to that moment of that Ebenezer by God's help because He is strong, because He is good. Mary had found her Ebenezers and she was treasuring them in her heart. But there's something else we see in the life of Mary. There is room for grace as we seek godliness. There is room for grace as we seek godliness. You know, the Bible says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of God's great mercies for us, because of the cross for us. And this is an awesome pronouncement, but, but most people I run into who are willing to divulge the things that they're wrestling with are also wrestling with shame in the midst of their sense of failure and inadequacy, wrestling with condemnation and the things that they haven't done well, and then often repeating that shame and condemnation over others even. We need grace in our pursuit of godliness. I guarantee you that there's going to be moments in your life where you are tempted to say, not your will, God, but mine. And you might for a little while. And in those moments, there are grace. In Mark 3.31, we encounter this strange thing. Jesus is teaching the crowd, and it says, his mother and his brothers came standing outside the place he was, and they sent word to him, and they called to him, now, they were sending word, and they were calling to Jesus, and they were saying, Jesus, just come on home. This whole Messiah thing, it's getting a little bit out of hand. We miss you. We want you to come back and be the carpenter. We just want you to come back and be our brother and our son, and, and we're concerned about where all this is going, and, and you kind of seem a little bit unhinged, right? They're, they're opposing the work of God. This is a moment in Mary's life where she's not saying, here I am, Lord. Let your will be done. She's saying, where's my son, God? Bring him back home. This is becoming far too real. In case if we don't understand the seriousness of this, another guy did this once. Peter said, Lord, I'll never let you be crucified. I will fight tooth and nail to keep that happening. You should never suffer in that way. And Jesus turns and tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but about human concerns. In other words, Peter this is not a godly moment. This is a fleshy moment. This is a sinful moment, Peter. Wow. So Mary finds herself in the same place that Peter was. Have you found yourself in that place before where you realize that you are opposing the things of God in your life or other people's lives? That you're not an advocate for what God desires, but you're an advocate for what you desire. You're not a force for good. You're a force for self. You know, Mary needed a Savior too. Mary was the one who gave birth to Jesus, but Mary was a human just like the rest of us. And Mary did sin. She was imperfect. Mary says this in Luke 1, 46 and 47, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary knew that she needed a Savior. There's room for grace in your pursuit of godliness. You know, there's this smattering of popular, popular ideas out there about everlasting life. And some people think that everyone's going to go to heaven because God's just good. And how could, how could God let anybody suffer because he's just so good? Well, God says that's not the way that it is. And some people say there's like this divine spark in all of us that just needs to be lit up. And then when that gets lit by that special thing in life, then they're, they're good and they become eternal and they're being drawn into eternity. It's sort of this 
Christian mysticism, if you will, because it's taking this idea that we're born in the image of God and, and stretching it to something else to say something that's not true. The Lord is clear in His Word. We are all born spiritually dead. We're all born without everlasting life in us. Our lives are beautiful and good, and God creates each individual life and loves each of those people, but He also sent His Son to save each of those individual people, including you. Now, Mary, when she was, this, this verse that she just said, this was when she was receiving this from the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was going to come into her life with Jesus. She said, my soul rejoices in God my Savior. It wasn't that Jesus was the Savior for the world out there at that moment. It's that Mary was receiving Jesus as the Savior of herself. Have you received Jesus as the Savior of yourself? Have you recognized that there isn't an everlasting life for you, but an everlasting death? Have you recognized that you're spiritually dead and need spiritual life? If not, maybe today is the day. Maybe this is the way Mary is an example for you, that you would recognize that you need to receive Jesus. To receive Jesus means to put your faith in him. That means that you trust that Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life for you. He died on the cross and he rose again so that through faith in him, you can have everlasting life. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. When you put your faith in Jesus, you recognize that Jesus took on that sin in your behalf. And the Bible says that when you do that, you receive everlasting life and so much more. But that's a different series of sermons. Not only that, but as we grow in godliness, we need continued grace because we're imperfect. When we grow in godliness, but we lack grace, it's not genuine godliness at all, but self-righteous pride often in religious behavior. See, godliness is not about religion at all. Godliness is not found, sadly, by showing up to church on Sunday. I'm so glad that you're here. But if your heart is not turning more towards submission to the Lord through this, then you're just a butt in a chair. And God loves you for that. But he loves you beyond that too. And godliness isn't just more religious information or spiritual information crammed into your brain. Godliness is found in a humble heart that's living for the Lord. This is why Jesus says that, that the faith of a child is powerful. What does a kid know? Nothing except I'm going to trust God. And they move in that direction. See, godliness is not often what we make it out to be, but it's found through grace and maintained through grace. Next, we see in Mary's life that godliness brings real hope and makes hope real. And we talked about all the myths and pursuits that we can have in our life. And we pursue those things because we have hope. We have hope that life will be good through them. But godliness is genuinely the only real way towards hope. I'm convinced of this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. Wow. God has prepared a great deal of wonderful blessing for you. He has an unimaginably strong source of hope for you. He doesn't want you just hoping in surface things, but he wants you to be hoping in great things, in deep things, in powerful things, in eternal things. Wow. Mary uh, goes to the temple with Joseph, 
when Jesus is 12 days old to dedicate Jesus. They come into the temple and there's two people there. Their names are Anna and Simeon. And they have been waiting for the birth of the Messiah. When Mary enters, Simeon comes up to her. And he just starts saying these crazy things to her. Young people, when you come into church and some older person starts saying crazy things to you, pay attention. <laughs> they have things from the Lord for you in their heart. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel, Simeon said. Wow. Jesus' father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Okay, he also says terrible things. Terrible things. Who, who says that to a mom? Come on. That's a rough Sunday at church. Baby dedication Sunday. We're so happy for you. Your own soul's going to be pierced. Watch out. This is a dark statement right here. This is hard. Let's really measure this for what it really was. Mary hears this. This is a challenging thing. This doesn't sound like a very hopeful thing. She's talking about the way Jesus is going to die. She's talking about how Jesus' ministry is going to polarize God's own people. Either you're for him or against him. He's actually going to polarize all history eventually. Either you're for Jesus or against Jesus. This is a big thing. We have to remember, though, that Mary has this pattern of godliness. And so she treasures the things the Lord is doing and meditates on them in her heart. He was talking about the cross. You know, when we talk about Christmas, a lot of us, we'd like to just avoid the fact that Christmas leads to the cross, that the manger leads to Calvary, that the birth leads to death. But the reality is, is that without the cross, Christmas is what? It's just another birthday. Birthdays are fun, and they're great. I mean, the 4th of July, that's a birthday, right? I really like that but it doesn't have the same ring as Christmas. It's not eternally powerful like Christmas is. Christmas is powerful because of the cross, because of the resurrection. And Simeon's promise is powerful because it points us to that. You know, there are seven things that Jesus says on the cross. The first is found in Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's a statement to the Lord, to the people who are crucifying and persecuting Jesus. Forgive them. The second is this. It's in Luke 23, 43. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He's speaking to the other criminal on the cross, the criminal who put his faith in Jesus. The fourth thing is this, Matthew 27, 46. In the ninth hour, a loud voice, in a loud voice, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was quoting Psalm 22, and he was pointing out what was happening was promised by God. The fifth thing was this in John 19, 28, knowing that all things were accomplished, and so that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. The sixth thing is this in John 19, 30, having received the sour wine that he got for his thirst, Jesus said, It is finished. 
words of finality about the atonement for our sin. And then in Luke 23, 46, the seventh thing, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Six words that would change eternity. But what number did I miss? Three. I missed number three. That's the third thing that Jesus said. John 19, 25 and following. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, who was John, standing there, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Wow. On the cross, Mary finds hope, real hope. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Godliness brings us real hope and makes those hopes real. You know, often when we talk about hope, hope is this distant thing. But when do we need hope the most? We need hope the most when life is at its darkest. When life is at its darkest. Man, godliness brings this great deal of hope because of your strong walk with the Lord in those moments, you often experience the Lord's nearness and his tenderness and his touch. And it might be through a brother or sister in Christ who comes alongside of you and prays with you and speaks goodness of Scripture and the promise of God's love into your life. It might be through a a song on the radio that reminds you of God's faithfulness. It might be a chorus that springs up in your heart in the moment when you're pondering the hardship and God's hope comes through into you from the Holy Spirit and you realize in that moment that you have been meditating on your sorrows and God wants you to be meditating on His strengths. See, godliness makes the hope of the Lord real in your life because the strength of your walk with him endures through the difficulty and the struggle of life. See, most of the times we like it when hope is out there because it means everything's good right here. But the reality is that we need hope the most when life is at its hardest. And so godliness brings real hope because it reminds us where our hope is and it makes our hope most real because it ties us so closely to the source of that hope. Help isn't far away because you know the power of help within your life in that very present moment. I want that kind of hope, don't you? Godliness starts with a simple choice and it grows into more than you can ask or imagine. Godliness is something that God desires for all of us. It seems like it might be complicated We've covered the fact that it's not stuffy, but I want to go back to the fact that it's not complicated. It starts with a simple choice. Was Mary's choice a big choice? Yeah. Was it an easy choice? I don't know. Probably not. It sounds like a very difficult moment in life, but it was a simple choice. It's a choice that says, I'm going to say yes to the Lord, and I'm going to say yes to the Lord tomorrow, and I'm going to say yes to the Lord the day after that, because the heart of godliness is humble submission to God's desires over your own. Are you ready to make the choice of godliness today? Are you ready to say, Lord, here I am. What do you want with my life? What do you want to do with me? I will obey in every way that you lead. My life is your life, not my own. I hope you are. I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now. I'm going to give a little bit of a silent moment in that. And I want you to think about this for real. Because maybe today 
maybe today is honestly just a day where you recognize, Lord, this guy, he said a lot of stuff about this, but honestly, I'm not sure. I don't know if I want to make the commitment of godliness. I'm not sure that I'm ready to sign my name on that dotted line. God will meet you there. Present that to him. Lord, I don't know about this. I need guidance and wisdom. Help me to understand what you want here and help me to be ready to make the commitment of godliness. But maybe some of us today are ready to make that commitment of godliness. I'm guessing that as you're hearing this, something has bubbled up in your mind and heart, a thing the Lord is asking you to do, a thing the Lord asked you to do before, that you have said maybe or no to. Maybe today is the day that you say yes to that to serving in the way that you asked to serve, to forgiving the person who hurts you the most, to walking in grace towards other people instead of trying to powerfully force them to do what you want. Maybe today is the day that you say yes to Jesus working in your life in these new, powerful, and wonderful ways. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you. We thank you for the example of godliness in the life of Mary. We thank you, God, for the simplicity of that, that she just says, I am the Lord's servant. Father, we want to develop hearts like that, that we are ready to serve. And so right now, in the quietness of the moment, Lord, I just want to tell you what's going on inside of us. Lord, some of us are declaring, Lord, I don't know about this, but I I just want to be honest with you. I don't want to pull back from you. And I just want to say, Lord, I'm not sure that I'm ready to say yes in all of these ways, but I know that I need to. And so would you strengthen me? Would you work in me to the point that I can get there so that I can say yes to your will? And Father, some of us, some of us are at a place where we're feeling that loving conviction, that call to turn towards you in in an area of our lives where we've sought our own will, our own desires. And Lord, we surrender these things to you. Lord, we want to say yes to your will, and so we do that right now. Lord, we are your servants. Lead us and guide us. As you desire, Lord, we will do. And Lord, I know there's a group of people here who are saying, that's my life. I live that life. I pray, God, that you would encourage them and strengthen them all the more. That you would help them to encourage and build up the brothers and sisters around them so that they might know the, know the benefit of godliness in this life and the next. And above all of this, Father, we just want to praise you and thank you for the grace and the life that you have for us through Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior. Amen.